Welcome to the Recovery from Relapse Workshop. Welcome to the Recovery from Relapse Workshop. My name is Susan. I'm a, re I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, everybody. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The, opinion, the opinions expressed here are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, two hatters, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak to the recovery in the OA program only. An ASCIT basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using full names. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share their first share for 25 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is recovery from relapse. Our first speaker is Mike, and our second speaker is Susan. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm a compulsive overeater. Oh boy, where to start? Um, well, they said to get the uh, the number stuff out of the way, statistics. So I can never remember the math, so I actually did write it down this time. Of course, where I wrote it. Um, oh, this is good. Okay. I was uh, I was 23 years old when I came in the program. And that was back in 1984, February of 84. And I was over 303 pounds. My highest recorded weight was 303 pounds. And um, I know I was heavier than that at one time, but I have no idea how much it was. Because uh, somehow I went from uh, 250 pounds to 300 pounds. That was the last time I weighed. And when I saw that 300 pounds on the scale, I was like, you know, kind of in shock for about half a second, maybe a second. And then I went back into my just shove it down mode because that's how I dealt with life. And I didn't come into program voluntarily. Um, I was fairly young, and I kept having back problems because of the weight. And um, I had a chiropractor that kept fixing my back. And finally, she said, "If you're not well, she, one, she tried to get me to lose weight by going, you know, on kinds of diets. And I even tried a place called Skinny School, failed that. Um, nothing really seemed to work. My last diet lasted about 60 minutes. You know, I remember from I started at 9 a.m. It was over at 10 a.m. That was the best I could do before I got here. And uh, so one day, you know, I went back in there to, to get my back adjusted. And the, she had a hydraulic table that you stood up on and it lowered down. But the rating was only for 250 pounds. Since I was way over that, she said, I'm not going to do that because these things are just way too expensive. So she made me crawl up on there. And I don't know if anybody's experienced lower back pain, but when the nerve gets hit, it just lights up every nerve ending that's back there. And, you know, she just said, if you don't care enough about yourself to take care of yourself, I'm not going to fix your back anymore. And it wasn't, you know, for her lack of, you know, trying to get me to lose weight, but she also gave me a phone number, and I had no idea what was on the other end of this number. I just thought it was like a, you know, a weight loss clinic or something. Well, it turned out to be an eating disorder unit. 
And the person that ran the unit, and this is when I lived in Southern California, um, was in program himself. He was also a psychiatrist, and he was the head of the unit. So that's where I got introduced to OA, because we were forced to go to six meetings a week. We had um, big book studies, step studies, all kinds of stuff related to program, plus you know a lot of psychological stuff, which I needed. And um, I was in for nine weeks. It was an inpatient program. And I absolutely hated OA when I first got here. I thought, I mean, I was 23 years old, and all I heard was a bunch of women talking about their feelings. So, <laughs> you know, and all I was talking about then was sports and rock and roll and drugs. You know, that was my life back then. And I am a, a multi-hatter, let alone a two-hatter. So, and part of that is part of my story. So, you know, it's gonna it's gonna leak in here. But you know, that's. Besides eating and weighing that much, I was also drinking a lot, smoking pot, and, and snorting coke at 23 years old. Had I continued on that path, I wouldn't be here today because I would have either imploded, you know, from a heart attack from, you know, carrying that much weight and, and doing that kind of drugs and alcohol, or I would have pissed somebody off enough to have them, you know, commit homicide on me. And I was also suicidally depressed too. So I mean, there was like a whole bunch of stuff going on at that time. So when I came in, I needed to have, um, you know, that eating disorder unit kind of program because being forced to go to that many meetings, go into big big studies, having all that kind of therapy, by the time I got out of there after nine weeks, I finally said, um, you know, this program's not so bad and maybe, maybe, just maybe I'll go to a meeting a week, you know, and that was until I lost my weight and then I was out of here because it was still in the back of my mind. So um, I had about six months of abstinence starting from the time I went in and um, lost about 90 pounds in six months. And then my 24th birthday came around, and I decided to take, you know, have a drink with the family at Sizzler. And, um, you know, I had a drink, I had a second drink, and then I had some real birthday cake. And at that point, no sugar, no flour, no alcohol, no drugs. I was completely clean. Once I took the alcohol back, there broke my defenses, and I started eating again. And then from that point on, uh, it was probably about three or four years of going to program, but not getting a sponsor and not working the steps. Um, and then moving from Southern California to uh, Northern California, uh, Woodland specifically, it's a really small, you know, quaint little town, but living in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area and moving there, um, I literally was pacing the floors because it was so small and I was like so jittery and, you know, didn't really have a program under my belt. And the first OA meeting I went to, and, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but that was just my impression at the time, were three old ladies and a truck driver in somebody's living room. <laughs> But these people were the most kind, you know, loving people. Um, it was just amazing how, you know, how they opened up to me. But I wasn't ready yet. And, you know, that's one of the things I'm learning in this program is I'm ready when I'm ready. And um, anyway, so I finally got a sponsor, started working the steps. And um, I lost about 138 pounds over a couple of years, I think. I still don't remember everything because um, it was just a long, long journey. And... Uh, I stayed there for not too long. Uh, I know it was less than a year because um, what happened is once I lost the weight, I started going to the gym and, you know, in about 30 days, um, I, I gained about five pounds and, you know, I thought, you know, it was muscle weight and it may have been. That's a lot of muscle weight, but, you know, I'm, I wasn't sure. So about every 30 days or so, I kept gaining five more pounds. So instead of counting that as 10 pounds, it was still five pounds. So, you know, after a while, um, pretty soon it was 25 pounds in reality, but in my mind and how my denial system worked, it was five pounds. So I, I five pounded my way up back over the 200 pound mark. And once I got there, 
and my clothes weren't fitting and I was miserable again and life was just crappy, I decided, okay, um, I'm not absent anymore. That was my license to binge. That's when I just said, you know, and I didn't leave program. Don't ask me why. I stayed, but I still was eating in program. And it wasn't, you know, it was like I did this for about 12 years, not 100% eating all the time. I had periods of abstinence, you know, and it was basically white knuckling abstinence is what it was when I did have it. Um, but I did never leave program. Um, I may have only gone once a week or once every other week, but I knew from my past experience nothing worked in this program. Excuse me. <laughs> nothing worked in my program. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I used to call it the overmikers program instead of overeaters program because, you know, that was one of my things I did is, you know, try to take control back and not want to do what I knew worked, which was work the steps and use the tools. So, um, and I've been, I had, I was, I think I was up to sponsor number four at the time while I was in relapse. And uh, there was occasions where I wanted him to fire me or I wanted to fire him, and he didn't, thank God. And, uh, you know, I finally got to that point um, of being miserable, but also what it took was a, a picture of myself, because I don't know about the rest of you, but I was, since I can remember, I was overweight. I was an overweight little kid, um, you know, teenager, young adult. Um, so my whole life, that's what I knew. And um, I avoided pictures, cameras, mirrors. You know, I just did not like seeing myself because of what I saw, you know, in, in my eyes' reflection. So, um, I, I was invited to a wedding of one of my customers, and they had those disposable cameras, and everybody was taking pictures. Two months later go by, and um, I was over there, and they showed me a picture of, of the wedding. So, I'm looking through, and then all of a sudden, I saw a picture of me at the table, you know, with a glass of water in my hand, and just, you know, I looked... To me, I looked like I weighed more than I did when I was 300 pounds. And I'm one of the people, too, in this program, I didn't go back up over my top weight. And I, I attribute that just to, you know, God working me and, and the program working. Even though I wasn't it, I wasn't working it. I was in long enough and, you know, had been around long enough and never actually left. So it could have been a lot worse because I've heard the stories of the people who have left the program and, and, you know, have gone out and gained their weight back plus a rebate. And I'm just grateful that I wasn't one of those people. Um, but it's really hard going to program and eating and getting bigger and watching the people kind of like back away a little bit. And, you know, and, and I can't say honestly that I know that that's what was going on, but that's what was going on up in my mind. And, um, you know, I'm sure I had a few anger issues going on then because before I came into program, I had basically, you know, three feelings, fear, anger, and hunger. And, and that's how I operated. And, um, those of you who've seen Star Trek, um, you know, you've, you know what a Klingon is. And, you know, you hear the term in program, you know, people furl their brows. Well, I had that Klingon forehead, you know, just get the fuck away from me and we'll all be all, be all fine. Because, you know, so anyway, um, so what finally happened is after I saw that picture, I'm thinking, you know, this is just, cause it's got to stop. You know, I got basically sick and tired of being sick and tired one more time. So I went up to my sponsor and I asked him, I think I have a little problem with surrender. I think I need some help with step three. And he said, well, why don't we go back to step one? Well, you know, being the, uh, the veteran I was in program, I'm thinking, I know step one, I know step two, you know, please, let's just skip those two and go to three. And then the God thought came in and said, well, who's maintained over a hundred pound weight loss for more than 10 years? It wasn't me. So I took direction and, you know, we started working the steps again and, um, I kept 
you know, starting abstinence and blowing it and starting it and blowing it and working the steps and finally, uh, and praying, praying like crazy for the willingness to be willing to do the do in this program. And, um, you know, after 11 months and 11 days of prayer on December 12, 2002, I claimed an abstinence date. And from that day on, um, you know, that's what I claimed as my abstinence date because that one was a pretty easy one to remember, 12 and 12, 12 steps, 12 traditions. So, you know, I was kind of hoping it was 2003 because it's a three-fold program, but I'll take the extra year. So. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's kind of basically where, you know, where it came to. Um, and then w one of the things I wanted to talk about, because um, it's kind of hard to pack 24 years of, of you know, program into you know, 25 minutes, um, but I think the important thing with talking about relapse is talking about it. No, you know, this is not a fun topic. You know, we don't go to meetings and say, hey, I want to talk about some relapse here, you know. Um, you know, because one of the things that when I first came in the program, and I was, you know, really just so fogged from everything that, you know, I had been into. Um, I, and I'm hearing all these wonderful stories of people that come in and, you know, they've got, you know, the perfect relationship, the perfect job, the house, all that stuff. And I'm thinking, man, all i got to do is hang out here for a year and I'll have all that stuff. Didn't think about working for any of that stuff, just hanging out for a year, and it's going to happen magically somehow. And, uh, you know, <laughs> what I found out is, didn't know it then, but, you know, the less I ate, the more I felt, and the more overwhelming those feelings became because I didn't have anywhere to go with those. I didn't know what to do with them. And that's where, you know, coming, working with a sponsor and, 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 you know, working the steps and using the tools come in. So, um, you know, there's like a whole list of things that, um, happened before the actual food part of the relapse happened. And, uh, you know, part of that for me was, was stinking thinking. And, you know, I could spend about two days talking about stinking thinking because Big Book tells us, you know, the problem with this disease starts in the mind. And, you know, I believe in a lot of things, you know, for a long time it was like, well, why do I eat? Why am I compulsive? So the whys were really important in the beginning. And I found out a lot of the answers to those questions, but it still didn't stop what was going on. Now, to me, the more important thing is, what am I doing? What am I doing about this? So, anyway, you know, part of that stuff is, is the stinking thinking, and there's a lot that goes goes into that. Um, you know, part of that's just not living in the here and the now. I was living in, you know, fear of the future or regrets of the past, which robbed me of living in the present moment, and that's where I've discovered God is. It's right here, right now, not, you know, some someplace else. And then the other thing was, you know, playing God. Um, I don't know about you, but i got a few control issues, you know, that I've been working out over the years. And, uh, you know, I like things my way, my time. And that's not how life works. Um, i I got some stuff going on now with work. And, you know, what I do is I'm an outside sales rep for a small paper company, and we sell packaging to restaurants. So I'm in food all the time. I mean, not literally in food, but I'm in restaurants all the time, surrounded by food. I get offered a lot of free food. Um, you know, the smell of all that kind of stuff. And I have to write down my mileage, and part of that also involves writing down where I go. So I, I stopped doing this because what I was doing in PIN was writing down where I thought I was going to go. Two or three, you know, customers not in the list, that changes because in my job there's a lot of things that change at the last moment, and I have to scratch it out. So it's kind of taught me how to live in the present moment and not try to rush into the future. Just, you know, this is where, I'm, this is where I've been. So I kind of just write it as I go instead of trying to control it, trying to, you know, figure out what's going to happen in my day. 
living in fear. Um, I was a scared little kid growing up, and I still have fear in me. And I know, you know, fear and faith, you know, can't live in the same house at the same time. From where I was at when I first came into the program to where I'm at now, I, I've gotten rid of a lot of that fear, but it still comes up. And I guess for me, one of the important things for me to say is I have not been done anything in this program 100%, 100% of the time. Um, one of the things I really like in, in the big book is in how it works. And it talks that, you know, spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. And I need to hear that for myself a lot of the times, but at the same time, I don't want to be in denial about you know, if I'm having a problem with a particular food or person or place or whatever, um, it's like, well, that's the best I've done, you know, and, and it's like, well, I have to really ask myself, what more can I do? And um, thank you. Um, some of the other ones, too, uh, since I'm starting to run out of time here, uh, perfectionism, you know, I never thought I was a perfectionist, but it's like, well, if I can't do this, you know, just to this extent, then, you know, then I make excuses not to do it. And there's another one, making excuses. Um, you know, I can make an excuse for just about anything if I, if I want to, you know, to not have to deal with it. And, um, you know, part of that, too, for me, you know, in the whys, uh, when I was first learning about myself and in this program, I was the youngest of five, and I had a lot of stuff done for me. Basically, I was like a spoiled kid. So to take responsibility for myself, um, it's been a huge um, spur of growth in this program that I've experienced because, you know, I've... I've, I've learned how to do that the hard way. Uh, believe me, it's not because I want to. Um, and I guess one of the biggest things, too, um, and I probably one of the reasons that, you know, I didn't really like to talk about when, when the weight was coming back on, was the shame. I mean, we all know what the shame's like before we got in this program. And to have it happen while we're in program is just, you know, and nobody's judging me but me. And I know that now. But back then, you know, I thought, you know, I have to come up here and be this, you know, shining example of how the program works. You know, I, I can tell you how, how I've screwed things up, but at the same time, you know, I can tell you that this program works when I work it, but it takes a lot of work. And there's just times I'm just, I don't know if it's laziness or what it is, it's just like, man, I just don't feel like doing it. But, you know, somehow, some way, it gets done. And for me, that's the most important thing is to take some kind of action. Um, the things that have helped me in recovery is just that. It's taking action. Um, you know, and it's letting go of my ego, reaching out for help. Um, the sponsor that I've worked with for, you know, many years, um, he uh, retired from the fire department in Sacramento and took a job with FEMA, which took him out of the, the area for months at a time. I, you know, I was basically sponsorless. Even though I could talk to him on the phone, it just wasn't the same as working with somebody. So, you know, I had a dilemma. Um, you know, to continue like that or do something about it. So I decided to, you know, ask somebody else to sponsor me. And, and I didn't fire the old sponsor. Now I have two sponsors. And I need two sponsors because i got a lot of issues going on. So uh, I need all the help I can get. So, I, you know, I've learned the, you know, I don't know if it's humility or what, but to reach out and ask for help when I need it. Um, you know, so I'm learning that. Um, you know, the steps, obviously, um, you know, I'm, I'm on step three right now. I've been going through the OA and the AA 12 and 12 in the big book and reading and writing on this stuff. And I'm seeing stuff I hadn't seen before. And it just blows me away, you know, how long I've been in program, how long I've been doing this stuff. And, you know, time in program, I really want to emphasize, does not mean diddly squat. You know, I've been in for 24 years, but, you know, 12 years of relapse, three to four years of not working the program, you know, and I've heard some stories today of people that have been in only for, you know, three to five years and, and, you know, and I can really, wow, 
you know, it sounds like a really good program that's going on. So, you know, time doesn't mean anything. It's quality. Um, the tools. Uh, I, you know, I get up, I read, I write, I pray, I meditate. Some, some mornings are longer than others, depending on how exhausted I was the night before and how much sleep I have. Because, you know, we have eight official tools and program, and I have a few of my own to make up the 12. You know, just 12, 12, and 8 just didn't sound right to me. I had that 12, 12, so. A little anal, but I'm working on that, too. Um, you know, and one of those tools is sleep. It's very important. If I don't get enough sleep, I turn into the crankmeister. I am just, you know, real controlling. I'm not a good person to be around. Um, exercise. Um, you know, that's real important for me. I didn't really realize how important that was, but I've been so busy with work lately, I've had to sacrifice going to the gym, and I can feel the difference. I didn't really think it would be that big of a deal, but um, it, it makes a difference. Um, the other one is audio. Uh, if it's a CD I listen to in my car because I drive a lot, or when I'm at home, I get on the computer and put on the uh, virtual speakers list, um, you know, and hear speakers off of that. Um, in, any time I can hear a program, uh, it makes a big difference. And then... Uh, the other one is prayer. I mean, I know it's a step, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I have just really clung on to prayer lately, and it's helped. And, and everything I've read, especially in the third step, talks about that. And um, the other one is um, is willingness. Um, that is such a big, and it's not a tool, but it's just one of the things that have helped me uh, with this recovery. Um, and, you know, and they talk about that in the big book. Um, you know, the essentials of recovery is willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. Um, those three things right there. It's just, I can't describe what it's done in my life, you know. And again, it's not been 100%, 100% of the time. I wish it were. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm kind of learning how to let go of this, you know, trying to do everything, you know, perfect all the time. I'm trying to get some balance in my life, you know. And right now it feels a little out of balance because... Work's been really busy lately, and uh, plus, I had my job threatened on um, uh, New Year's Eve, um, and this, you know they hired a sales manager. There's only five of us there. I mean, five sales reps. We don't really need a sales manager. There's a lot more going on. I don't have time to get into it. I don't really want to get into it, but it's created a lot of anxiety for me. And but at the same time, I'm working on getting out of there. I want to get out of the food service, you know, industry because, I mean, I, my first job was a, working at a grocery store. I've worked at 7-Elevens. I've worked at donut shops. I've worked at restaurants. I've been around food way too long. So, you know, it's time to say see ya and, and, and try to find, you know, what is my passion in life. And I kind of have a couple of them out there that I need to explore. I have absolutely no experience. I have some knowledge about these subjects, but no experience. So it's kind of scary being 47 years old, not having a degree, going into some field completely different. You know, and, and not having any clue what's out there for me. But at the same time, it's pretty exciting because this is kind of like a big chapter in my life right now. And trying to get the balance and, and, you know, stay abstinent and, you know, work the program and, you know, everything else that's going on in my life. Um, you know, there's, there's a good reason why I get home some nights and I'm just exhausted. And, you know, I'm asleep before my head hits the pillow. Um, but at the same time, you know, I need some peace of mind. Um, and one of the things I've heard lately that helped a lot, you know, the difference between, at first I thought I wanted happiness, but now I realize it's peace of mind because happiness is dependent on things outside of me going the way I want. Peace of mind is dependent on, you know, what goes on inside me and how I adjust and react to how things are going on in life. And there's a huge difference there, and I didn't really realize what that is. But, you know, they talk about it in the big book. We will learn how to act on life rather than react to it. 
and I really, really like that. Um, you know, and it all comes from getting back to, you know, the basics of this program, which is working the steps, taking things a day at a time, a step at a time, a moment at a time, and, um, you know, realizing that food is not, extra food is not going to help. And I've got to talk about this stuff because, you know, um, there's, there's, it's the magic of going to a meeting where when I talk about it, when I leave the meeting, I feel better. When I talk to my sponsors about it, when I get done talking to them, I feel better. When I work with one of my sponsees, I feel better. And, you know, I don't, I don't work a perfect program. Um, things, I'm not exactly, you know, where I think I should be in a lot of areas of my life right now. But I'm learning that acceptance is another big key factor um, in how I work my program and how, you know, um, I accept life on life's terms. And the more I'm able to do that, the more peace of mind I have, the more of the principles that are embodied in these steps that I live my life by. And, you know, when I don't do it perfectly, when I don't do it the way I think I should, then, you know, I just stop. I say the serenity prayer, um, make a phone call, do whatever it is I need to do. Realize that, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, that everything is in divine order. Everything happens for a reason, and I really believe that, including relapse. You know, relapse is not something people have to experience. It's not anything that I would think anybody would choose to experience. But the bottom line is, I'm either reaching for food or I'm reaching for God. So the longer I'm in this program, the more I've learned how to reach for God, because I didn't have these skills before I came to this program. It's something that I've learned over time. And, you know, I still got a bit of stubbornness in me. Um, you know, call it willfulness. <laughs> you can call it what you want. Um, you know, and I'm learning that, uh, you know, self will run riot. I know that one really well. What I'm learning today, you know, is the willingness to trust God, you know, to let go, do the best I can, and, um, you know, just take things a day at a time. And when I let go and let God, you know, things usually work out for the best. So, thank you. Susan, I'm a compulsive overeater. Wow. You all have such beautiful faces. I wish you could all stand up here and, and see what I see. Um, so uh, I uh, came into OA August 2nd, 1966. I was three years old. <laughs> I get younger and younger as I get older and older. Um, thank you for laughing. Uh, I was 17. Um, when I came into OA, and I came in Los Angeles. Um, I'd like to say OA was really different then, but some things were different, and some things just keep staying the same. Uh, and I started my abstinence on October uh, 12, 1976. So quick math, 10 years, plus a month or two. And so that kind of tells you that I got some experience with relapse. And when I talk about relapse, um, because I felt so alone in it, and like I was the only one for such a long time, I, um, I hope you don't mind, I hope you'll indulge me. If, um, I think most of you are sitting in this room for a reason. Uh, so if you've ever experienced relapse, or if you're in relapse now, could you raise your hand and then everybody would just take a look around? Okay. 
Um, I like to do that for two reasons. One is so that you know if you happen to be a person who's in relapse right now and nobody knows which ones of us that uh, that is, that you know you're not alone. And also the other reason I like to do that is because I have found in most of the times when I've done that, that that's the percentage I see. A very high percentage of people in OA have experienced relapse. I don't know why that is. I don't think there's any studies about it. I don't have any statistics to give you. Um, it just seems to be the case. Um, I think this disease, you know, the big book says that um, alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and I, and I really think that compulsive overeating is also really cunning, baffling, and powerful. And uh, I could give you all kinds of ideas as to why I think that is, but they're just my ideas. And uh, I just know that that seems to be true for a lot of us. Um, I also notice that not everybody raised their hand. And, um, and I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. I'm so thrilled that there are people who, met, who come into OA, and on their first day they come in, they get their abstinence, and they stay abstinent, and they stay abstinent for years and years. Um, uh, I think those people, you know, they're as much an, a lifeblood of this program, and we need to have both of us here. And I talk about that a little bit because um, my experience in OA in those years that I was in relapse uh, wasn't a positive one. Um, I was in Los Angeles, and, and uh, back in the days in the 60s when we didn't have a lot of OA speakers, we had a lot of AA speakers because we didn't have a lot of OA speakers. We brought people in from AA. And people from AA would share their AA stories. And they were different. And their experience was different in a lot of ways. And then what happened was there was a lot of translation. Um, and so um, there was a lot of harshness and a lot of shame and a lot of judgment. I don't know how else to say it. And so people would get up in meetings, in OA meetings, back in the um, late 60s and share about how someone, you know, would someone called them that had just binged and they'd hang up on them because they didn't want to talk to a drunk. They wanted, you know, so call me before you eat or don't call me. And, um, and in my, my opinion, and it is just my opinion, is it's not quite the same thing. It's similar maybe, but it's not really the same thing as someone who is drunk on alcohol. Um, and so, you know, and I've actually, you know, had people, you know, we used to, back in those days in, in Los Angeles, we had people raise their hand in their first 30 days of abstinence. Not people who were at their first three meetings, because that's what they did in AA. You raised your hand in your first 30 days of sobriety, so we raised our hands in your first 30 days of abstinence. I was raising my hand a lot in those days. And um, I remember the last time, I think it was the last time, I changed my abstinence state one more time. Um, I remember walking up to somebody, and she actually turned her back and walked away from me. And so that was the kind of experience that was going on. And at that point, I'd been in a way for long enough, and I'd heard the traditions long enough to know that I had a place here. I knew that the only requirement for membership was a desire to stop eating compulsively. And I don't care what you think, you can't make me leave. I have a right to be here. But if I had been a newcomer, if I was in my first few months, and I, you know, I'm not so sure. And so some of the reason I came back in those early days was couldn't afford to go anywhere else. I mean, you know, um, my story was um, I came in when I was 17. I just before my 18th birthday, I met my husband, got married when I was 19, had my first child when I was 20, got divorced. My second child when I was 22, got divorced when I was 25. It's a really short version, but during those years. 
We didn't have very much money. I couldn't afford to go to Weight Watchers or diet clubs or diet doctors or any of those other places. I'm so grateful for that today. I'm so grateful because I had no place else to go but here. And um, so I hear people say that OA is free. Just so you know, OA is not free. It's self-supporting. Um, and so I could afford to put in a quarter in the basket, and some weeks I couldn't even do that. But, you know, there were no dues. There were no fees. Nobody made me get up on a scale. So I could come back to whether I was abstaining or not. But there were a lot of people who didn't particularly like the fact that I wasn't abstaining. Um, also in those days, in those first 10 years, there was two ways to abstain. There were two types of meetings. There were the gray sheet meetings, and there were the moderate meal meetings. So um, how many of you don't know what gray sheet is? Not too many. There's a few, okay? It's um, getting less and less, which is interesting. There used to be a lot of people didn't know what gray sheet was. Well, in those days, it was a... Um, it was a food plan. I was going to say diet. But that's, just my, that's just my judgment about it. It was a food plan, and um, it was a low-carbohydrate, kind of semi-high-protein. It wasn't specifically that way. Food plan. And so some of the meetings, you had to follow that food plan in order to share at a meeting, and, you know, you have a sponsor that did that food plan. Um, and they actually, you wouldn't let you share at the meeting if you didn't follow that particular food plan. And then there were the other meetings that were the moderate meal meetings and the definition of abstinence in those days was three meals a day with nothing in between, but no calorie beverages and black coffee or tea or whatever. You know, you couldn't even put cream in your coffee because if you did that was breaking your abstinence. So, um, so I ended up, the first meeting I went to, I guess, I don't actually remember, um, for those of you from Los Angeles, it was the Palms Park, Wednesday night Palms Park meeting, which met somewhere else. And um, it must have been a gray sheet meeting because I got a gray sheet at that meeting. And I spent 10 years trying to do that food plan. And, and I'll get to what this is all about in a second. But um, what it set up for me was, first of all, at 17 years old, I didn't come to OA because I wanted to stop eating. And some people might have. I had not anywhere close to reached my bottom. I came to OA because I wanted to lose weight. Um, I didn't even weigh as much as I do now when I came into OA. I'm... 59. I'm going to be 60 in August. Um, I don't think I'll ever weigh what I what my goal weight was when I was 17. It's kind of not um, reasonable, and it's something I, my doctor would look at me and say, "What are you crazy?" Um, but I wanted to lose weight, and I actually didn't want to stop eating. So I was looking, you know, that's what I came here for. And so I actually didn't even meet the qualifications by the third tradition. But thankfully, I didn't know that at the time. Um, and so they gave me this food plan, and I could follow it for a while, but I could never follow it for very long. I was, um, I was the good girl in my family, but underneath all that was this kind of rebellious, you know, it's like I didn't really want to be the good girl. That was the role that was assigned to me. And so after a while, what I used that food plan for was an excuse. So if, and this was the real honest-to-God truth, if I was supposed to eat a cup of green beans, and um, I ate one tablespoon over, I was breaking my abstinence. They tell me I broke my abstinence. Well, that would be a great excuse to eat the chocolate chip cookies, which is what I really wanted anyway. So I would do that on a fairly regular basis so that I could, you know, eat whatever that, the food I really wanted to binge on was. And after I got married, I don't know if my husband, my first husband was a compulsive overeater or not, but any of you who have lived with one, you know that if you want to binge, you buy their favorite food, as well as your own, of course. And that's so, you know, that's what I would do. And so I did that for 10 years. That's kind of the short version of the story. And there was a lot of shame, and I, the shame came a lot of it from myself, but I found a lot of it here in OA. And um, I'm, it makes me sad to say, 
but that's the way it was. Um, we didn't have 12 Step Within. For those of you who don't know about 12 Step Within, I might, if I have time, share a little bit about 12 Step Within. But it was just a lot of, um, for me, a lot of beating myself up and not feeling good enough. And, you know, there were other people who were doing it right, and um, I couldn't do it right, no matter how hard I tried. Not that I tried that hard, but... Um, what happened, the short version of what happened for me is after trying this for 10 years to try to, to do this food plan and other food plans and trying to do that is um, I'd been abstaining for I don't know exactly how long it was, a year and a half or so, and 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock, whatever time it was, I had three Oreo cookies. That's what I laughingly call my last, my last binge. And... Um, I called my, my closest friend in OA at the time, and I told her I broke my abstinence again. And she said to me, aren't you sick and tired of starting over? And that, even, you know, even 32 years later, well, almost 32 years, it still gives me chills that just saying that out loud, aren't you sick and tired of starting over, was a turning point for me. I made a decision that night that I was never going to start over again. What that really was for me was giving up the perfection. That's really what it was. I didn't know it at the time. I couldn't have verbalized it that way. It wasn't like I said I gave myself permission to binge and call that abstinence. That's not what it was at all. It was I didn't have to be little Miss Perfect Susie. I was Susie back then because I was younger. I didn't have to be little Miss Perfect Susie following this food plan that was written down exactly as it was written without any deviations, no matter what. I couldn't do that. Now, that type of a food plan works really well for a lot of people. And so I'm not telling you that you shouldn't do that if that's what works for you. That's what I love about OA is that people get to do what works for them, and I don't tell you you have to do it my way, and you don't get to tell me that I have to do it your way. Back in those early days in the 60s, that's what people were doing. They were saying, you have to do it my way, and that's the only way that works. And um, that was such a huge release for me, is to not have to be perfect anymore. I didn't have to be perfect. I wouldn't be standing here today if I hadn't had that slight switch which made all the difference for me. Um, and that was the beginning. That was the beginning of my recovery. That was the beginning of my life. Um, everything has changed since then. I mean, I can't even imagine what my life would be like today if not for that person in my life who's been so important to me in so many ways, having said that thing. And, you know, was that God? Yes. She said the words, but that was God's message to me. That was God saying to me, Susie, it's okay. You're okay just the way you are. I didn't set it out that way. Um, so uh, so what's the last 32 years been like? I mean, it's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of trial and error, a lot of can I eat this? Yes, I can. Whoops, no, I can't. <laughs> you know, it's been a lot of, uh, a lot of things. Um, I want to talk... Um, a little bit about, since I do have a little bit of time about 12 Step Within, uh, what year did it start at, at conference? 1984. So I started this abstinence in 1976, and so we didn't have anything like that. So the whole um, shame about um, relapse was still going on and, and did for quite a long time. And out of that um, came a committee at conference called 12 Step Within. 
And are, are there people here who haven't heard of 12 Step Within? A few people that haven't heard of 12 Step Within. So we know the 12 Step is to carry the message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. Well, we were carrying the message to all the people out there who were still suffering while half the people in here were leaving because they were suffering and we weren't carrying the message to them. And um, so this group of people, some of whom are here today, said, we got to stop this. We're, we're hemorrhaging from inside and we have to stop it. And the pamphlet that you were given in your um, packet is one byproduct of that committee. Um, and one of the things that, that, you know, one of the things that came out of that committee is um, there, was a, there was a button that Carol used to wear that said, please stop dying. And it was really in your face. People didn't like it. Some people didn't like it. I loved it. Because people in our rooms were dying because people were afraid to talk about relapse. People were afraid to reach out to people in relapse. And what we discovered was, guess what? Relapse is not contagious. You probably know that, most of you. I'm probably preaching to the choir. But, um, <laughs> but recovery is. So the people that are in so even for those of us that had recovered from relapse, some of us were afraid. To I was one of them that was afraid, too. You know, I didn't want to go back there. You know, it's like, okay, I'm better now. I don't want to go back there. But, you know, relapse is not contagious. Fat is not contagious. Um, none of those things are contagious. But what we have here in terms of our recovery, that's what's contagious. And we have to share it with each other. And, you know, we started talking about ways to reach out to people so that they didn't have to leave while they were um, struggling. And that's what 12 Step Within is about. And so if you're one of those people that's struggling and you're not getting the support you need in your meeting, reach out to the World Service and ask them about 12 Step Within. And start a 12 Step Within meeting in your inner group. Because you can be the one to start it. And you can be the one to, to reach out. And you'd be amazed what doing that kind of service will do for you in terms of putting you back on the road of recovery. Actually, you're already on the road of recovery, but it'll move you forward on the road of recovery. So then there's all this controversy about, well, what comes, can you really work the steps if you're not abstaining? And there are a group of people that will tell you that you can't work the steps if you're not abstaining. And then there's the other group of people that says, you know, I couldn't have gotten my um, abstinence if I didn't start working the steps. So what's your experience? That's what's true for you. And, you know, there isn't a right answer. You know, it's what it's what's my experience and what your experience is. So if you're not abstaining, don't let that stop you from working the steps. Don't let it stop you from working with a sponsor. Don't let it stop you from working the tools. Who knows what's going to get you back to your abstinence? And um, so what does the word abstinence mean? I love the conference where we separated the food plans from the word abstinence. Um, abstinence to me is to refrain from compulsive overeating in whatever way that means, but it's so much bigger than that. I to me, abstinence is equivalent to sobriety. It's about how I live my life. It's not just what do I put in my mouth. So I don't, you know, when people say to me, what's your abstinence? They're really asking me, what's my food plan? And that's a whole different question. But my abstinence is about, um, I'll just give you an example. Um, I got fired from my job on June 6th, okay? Being abstinent means that I just said I got fired from my job and not I left my job. That's part of it is telling the truth. The other part, but the real part of it is that when I left and packed up my things, I had four boxes of things, I packed up my things. I didn't take any of their things. Not even a pen. I didn't take a paper clip. 
Now, there was a different time in my life where I would have taken those things because they owed it to me. You know, it's like, well, they fired me. You know, uh, I worked hard. They're cutting me off from X number of dollars. I can take this pen. I like this pen. I mean, it's just a pen. You know, that's what abstinence is to me. It's how I live my life. Can I go to sleep tonight with a clear conscience? How have I treated the people that I've come across in my life today? How have I treated my husband? What did I say to my children? You know, that's what abstinence is. It's a big thing. It's not a little thing. What did I put in my mouth? Now, the what did I put in my mouth is a part of it because I can't get to the big thing if I don't take care of the little thing. So don't get me wrong. I have to, you know, I have to take care of all of it. Um, if I'm eating compulsively, if I'm binging, uh, I don't really care about the, whether I take a pen from my employer, and I don't really care what I say to my husband. That's his problem. You know, if he can't take it, get out. And that's kind of where I go. It's been a long time, thank God. But, um, you know, so they, they are related, but it's, it's the bigger picture. You know, it's being able to see the bigger picture. That's what abstinence is for me. So if you are one of those people right now that's struggling with relapse, you're having a hard time getting out of relapse, one of the things I ask, I ask people, you know, I always, some people can go from relapse to something very structured. I'm not one of them. I've never been able to do that. So one of the things that I'll, I'll ask someone who's struggling is, what's the least thing you can do today so that when you put your head down on the pillow, you feel like you've had a day of abstinence? Everyone has a different answer. So for somebody, it's to eat three meals with nothing in between. It's not eliminating any foods, but it's just to eat three. For somebody else, it's not to eat three meals, but it's to eliminate sugar or to eliminate something that they tend to binge on. Everyone has different answers. The idea is to put your head down on the pillow tonight and say, I've had a day of abstinence today. And, and anyone who's had a day of abstinence after a long struggle knows what it feels like to wake up the next morning and go, wow, I abstained yesterday. It feels, I mean, it feels fabulous. So it's like, wow, I did that yesterday. I can do that today. I can do that same thing, that least thing, whatever that least thing is. I can eat three meals today with nothing in between. I did that yesterday. I just have to do it one more day. So that when I put my head down on the pillow tonight, I'll have a day of abstinence. And what I, what I discovered was I kept trying, I kept beating myself up because I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I ate this wrong food, I ate one tablespoon too many green beans, and it never worked to get me abstinent, never worked to get me going in the right direction. It just kept me sliding backwards, and it was like trying to build a house on quicksand. I kept sliding in. So finding the way to have a day of success gave me one more day, and then one more day, and then one more day. And so it's like building success on success instead of trying to build success on failure. And that's what works for me. And then, you know, at some point in time, what I find is the road gets narrower. And so if, if I'm the person who can eat three meals a day with nothing in between, somewhere down the road it's like, you know, this food isn't working for me. I have to stop eating this food. You know, but the time comes when it comes. And what I learned is that I have to be gentle with myself. Now, that may not work for everybody, but that's how it works for me. And so if that's something that might work for you, feel free to borrow it. Um, 
My journey has been a lot of ups and downs. I, um, you know, we talk about the road, trudging the road of happy destiny. I see the road as not any, it's not a straight road. I never can see more than a few feet ahead of me. The road has a lot of curves. It goes uphills, it goes downhills. Sometimes the uphills are, are really struggles and, some, and the downhills can be really sweet. Um, but what I know is that um, the road, that I'm not, what I know is I'm not walking the road alone. And I'm not walking it alone for a lot of reasons. One is you're, you're walking it with me. That helps a lot. Now my husband's not in the program, so this may sound a little weird, but I know that he's walking, he doesn't like walk right on it, because he's not in the program, but he walks right next to it. It's, kind of, it's hard to explain, I don't even know if I could verbalize it to him, and he probably wouldn't know what I was talking about. But I know what I mean, you know, because he supports me, you know, as, but, as much as he can and understands as, as best as he can not being a compulsive overeater. But always walking, as close as is possible, closer than any of you can, is my higher power. And so during the times when the road gets in those, you know, those curves are ahead and I don't know what's around it, I can hold on tighter to my higher power's hand. And, um, you know, when I'm going up the really, you know, struggling, sometimes my higher power is behind me pushing because I can't really do it anymore. And if I have to stop and rest, I can stop and rest, and that's okay too. So, um, 42 years that I've been doing this, I can tell you that I have done it absolutely, perfectly imperfectly, however you say that English correctly. Um, I have never been perfect, ever, and that's what's so perfect about it. Um, and not having to be perfect has been a, a blessing. And knowing that my higher power loves me no matter what, and that you know, the gift of life I was given when I was born was the way, exactly the way it was supposed to be. That was the only moment of perfection. And that God just loves me the way I am. And that I'm going to continue to grow. I'm going to continue to learn. And I'm going to continue to make mistakes. And the mistakes are all part of the process. It's part of the growing. Um, I'll, I'll eat foods that don't work for me. I'll fight giving them up because I am a compulsive overeater to my core. Um, I'll finally give them up. I may take them back again. That's been my pattern. My weight will fluctuate. That's what it's done. Um, I'll go up. I'll go back down. Um, but what I know is that I have a seat here. It might be there. It might be there. It might be in the back. It doesn't matter. There's a chair for me in OA. No one can take it away from me. Um, I belong here. I belong here. There's no place else in the world where I feel so at home where I feel so much like I belong. Um, this is my home. This is my family. I can walk into a room of strangers in another city where I don't know anyone and I'm at home. We have something that's so precious here in OA. Don't throw it away by walking out the door. Um, we need you. Every one of us needs you to be here, to keep coming back. That's the, that is the message of 12 Step Within. That's the message of recovery is to keep coming back. Thank you. Can someone please bring forward the ask it basket? Great. And Carol, could we have 20 minutes? We're, we're running a little, got a little time. Okay. The 
we have quite a few questions, so I'll just start with the first one. How do we make OA a safe place to tell the truth? I think for me on that question, um, I had to learn how to let go of what other people thought of me. Because people are people. I mean, let's face it, this is, oh wait, this is the last house on the block. You know, um, and there's a lot of damaged people that come in here. And, and I don't say that in a mean way or a bad way. I was very damaged when I got here. And, and you know, we all do the best we can with what we've got and we're learning how to um, have do this program. And, you know, I had, and that's where a lot of the shame came from for me was worrying about what other people had to say. Um, so I had to learn how to just like, you know what, this is my truth. I need to say what I need to say. If it bothers people, they can talk to their sponsor about it or write about it, whatever they need to do. Um, to make it a safe place, um, for me, I had to learn how to love myself. And then, you know, that the golden rule of treating other people how I want to be treated. So I think it starts with, with the individual, with ourselves. This question says, I'm on day 10, gratefully, of abstinence. What words of encouragement do you have for me coming back from three and a half months of relapse? Congratulations. <laughs> um, to keep doing it one day at a time, one meal at a time, one minute at a time if that's what it takes, and to stay connected to your higher power because that's really where the support is. And um, I don't know if you have a sponsor, but if you don't, get one. Um, and to work closely with your sponsor. And also to get a support system, because sponsors are not always available. Sponsors aren't God. Um, so God sponsors support system, and one day at a time. Now, this one was directed at me. It says, Mike, what do you recommend to stop yourself from relapse? Um, the first thing I had to do was to admit that I was in relapse. Uh, you know, that's where the denial system came in. I didn't want to admit I was in relapse. So, you know, once I did that, and then I reached out for help and um, took direction, even though I didn't really want to. But that's for me where praying for the willingness to be willing came in. How do you learn to halt before you come before you become too nuts and then feel guilt? I'll leave the question there so you can see it too. Um, I think um, not halting and becoming nuts is the best way I learn. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know what halt is, that's don't become too um, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I think that's what the person means. Um, so for me, sometimes that means really having a schedule, eating on schedule, um, making sure I get to bed on time. I'm really bad about that. Um, and, um, you know, it's, that, it's about doing the inventories and, you know, looking at those areas where that is coming up as an issue and um, making sure that, you're taking the steps and using the tools to prevent those things from happening. And, and guilt, by the way, is a wasted emotion in my experience. Um, for me, guilt uh, was always something I felt, when I felt guilty, I kept 
repeating the same actions over and over. So I have to switch that to taking responsibility. When I take responsibility, I can change my behaviors. When I feel guilty, I don't change my behaviors. So take responsibility instead of feeling guilty. I've been in program nearly 20 years. I'm in relapse, just past my top weight, hating myself, resentful when I wake up in the morning. Where do you bring this kind of talk, even though I keep coming back? One of the things I've learned in this program is how invaluable having a network is. Uh, my sponsor is usually the first person I go to, and then I have also developed you know, about three or four people that are really close to me that I can call. Even if they don't answer, I can kind of talk about it, leave a message on their, on their phone. Um, getting it out there, getting honest about it, you know? It doesn't feel good. Who, who wants this disease, you know? Um, but there are actions we can take to, you know, to recover. And one of them is, is just talking about it and then, you know, writing about it and working through the steps. You know, I, when I first got abstinent after my relapse, I didn't think it was going to take me, you know, almost a year to get abstinent. I thought I'd, you know, get it in a month or so or less. But I just kept coming back no matter what. And that's one of the things I forgot to say when I was speaking. The most important thing, keep coming back no matter what and just keep plugging away. Keep taking some kind of action. And, you know, don't leave five minutes before the miracle like it's been said before. We have a lot of questions, so we're trying to get through quickly. How can I honestly define moderate for myself? I feel like my vision is skewed in the addiction. That's a really good question. They're all really great questions. Um, I th if, if I'm really in my addiction, I'm not sure that I can define moderate for myself, or at least by myself. I think there's some great writing in the first step, and I think it's really important to um, really look at my um, food history, my eating history, my compulsive eating history before I can even get there, so that might be a, a good first step. Funny they call that the first step. And then um, probably to work with a sponsor around um, what's moderate for you, or in my case it would be what's moderate for me, and sometimes it's about trial and error. So. Um, you know, not beating yourself up when the error happens, but just looking at it as part of the learning process until you get to the place to know exactly what is moderate for you. Some of these are the same type of questions, so I'm going to do two at one time. The first part of it is, um, how do you know if you're in relapse? And then what do you do if you are in relapse and you need a new sponsor but none are available? So the first one is, how do you know if you're going to relapse? And second one is, how do you find a new sponsor? Well, when, it took me a while before I admitted I was in relapse. I think I knew I was in relapse before I admitted it. And I know for myself, you know, I have a bottom line that I don't cross. If I cross that, I'm not asking anymore. Not to say that my food plan, you know, I haven't stretched some of my meals out or eaten more than I needed to eat. Um, but to be in relapse for me, it's not just about the food. It's my thinking, it's my behavior, um, and, and my willingness level. Um, when I get to that point where I'm angry all the time, I'm not willing to do anything, you know, I refuse to do stuff in program that's good for me or in, in good for me in general, um, you know, it's 
it's a threefold disease, physical, emotional, and spiritual. So usually all three of those areas are affected um, in, a, in a very negative way. And, you know, I know for me when I'm stuffing myself with food. And, you know, it's not to say that, um, you know, I haven't eaten a perfectly, you know, go to the co-op, get, you know, organic this, OA approved that meal, and eaten it in about five to ten seconds. You know, that's eating compulsively. I still do that. I just don't do it on the level that I used to do. You know, it's not perfect. But that's one of the things I had to learn to give up was this perfection stuff. So, you know, I, for, you know, it's hard to answer that one because it's going to be an individual thing. But I know for me when I'm, you know, all three of those areas are affected and, and it'll show. And, you know, and for me also weight gain because I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, I, I know what it was like when I was 300 pounds and all the pain that that brought on physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And, you know, I had to gain quite a bit of weight before I admitted that I was in, in, in relapse. So today, I take a different approach to that. Um, I don't beat myself up. But at the same time, I don't, I'm not in denial about where I'm at, you know. I still haven't got the goal weight yet, and it's been a while. I don't like talking about that, but I have to get honest about that. And that's part of what's helped me admit when I'm abstinent or not abstinent, when I'm in relapse, when I'm not relapsed. So for me, I guess it's, it's getting to the truth of the matter. And you want to take the second half of that? Um, let's okay. What do you do if you're in relapse and you need a new sponsor, but none are available? Um, yeah, that's a you know, it's kind of especially being male in this program. It was always seemed to be uh, not an abundance of sponsors, and I've never ever had a problem finding somebody who was willing to, to sponsor me. Um, if that's not available, I would suggest um, what I call stealth sponsors. Um, <laughs> these are people that they don't know they're sponsoring you, but they are. <laughs> Give them a phone call. Ask them, you know, how, how would you take someone through step one? You know, whatever it takes to work this program, do it. Because... <laughs> uh, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of people out here that have a lot of recovery. And it's just, you know, picking their brains and asking them how they do that and just staying in touch, you know, and build that network, you know. There's no rule that says we have to have one sponsor, you know. I felt kind of weird about having, you know, two current sponsors, but now what a gift. I'm working steps with one and traditions with the other. Maybe I need 10 sponsors by the end of the year. I don't know, but I'm not going to stop until, you know, well, I'm not going to stop. You know, it goes where it goes. I'm leaving it in God's hands, just doing the footwork. How do you deal with the keep coming back? Do you feel welcomed back? I'm not quite sure what the meaning is, how do you deal with keep coming back. Um, but um, I think I pretty much addressed that. Uh, the third tradition says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. And um, I think anyone who wants to be here gets to be here. Um, so that's what we mean when we say keep coming back. So that doesn't mean that everyone who says it means it, but um, I know I have a right to be here. And uh, no, I didn't always feel welcomed back, but I didn't have any place else to go, and this is where I wanted to be, and I knew this was where my recovery was. So I would say if someone is not feeling welcomed back, it could be two reasons. Um, one is maybe the meeting is not very welcoming, um, and you need to try another meeting. The other reason might be um, more internal, and so you might need to be looking inside to see if there's some projection going on. I know when I'm not liking myself very much, 
I feel very, and I feel very unlikable. I feel like nobody likes me. And so I don't feel welcomed anywhere. So it could be some of that that's going on. So I would say to keep coming back anyway. Um, and uh, someone, I heard someone once say to keep coming back until you want to. So, so do that. How do you stay motivated to do all the work after all these years? Um, motivation doesn't really have anything to do with it uh, as far as my case goes. Um, what helps me is when newcomers come in and they talk about what it's like. It, re it reminds me. You know, when I was that heavy, I, I couldn't get in an airplane seat without getting an extension for the, uh, the seatbelt. Um, I couldn't sit comfortably, you know, at a ball game because the chairs were too small and I was like spilling over into the chairs next to me. Um, trying to get clothes, you know, I learned how to tan my own pants, you know, after my mom passed away. She was doing it for me, then I, I learned how to do it. Um, you know, I, I'm in better shape now at 47 than I was at 23 when I came in this program. I couldn't even get up half a flight of stairs without stopping and wheezing. Um, I need those reminders. And, um, you know, there's days I just like wake up and it's like, I don't want to work another step. I don't want to go to another meeting. I don't want to pray one more time. But, um, it, you know, and I'll have to say that there's days where, you know, I'm working like a, you know, a half measures program. But overall, at the end of the, of the week or the end of the month, I've done, I've done a lot more stuff in this program than, than what I, you know, would normally do. Um, because I know if I don't, it's going to kill me. And that's one thing we don't hear a lot about in this disease. It kills people. It may be slow, a lot slower than, than drugs or alcohol, but it, it will kill. You know, my dad was 44. He had a massive heart attack. He was diabetic related, but he was overweight. He drank. He smoked. And he, and he was gone. And my mom died of a heart attack at 66. So it's in my family. I have to remember that because this, you know, it's a, it's cunning back and powerful. It's also very patient. And, um, you know, I need to hear the seriousness of this piece to keep me motivated as part of it. And then another part, too, it's a lot of fun, you know, to, to be able to go out with my friends now and, and not have to have, you know, anything to loosen up or, you know, to have a good time just to be myself and, you know, and learning all the stuff that I'm learning these days um, and, and more and more about myself. It's an amazing journey. Okay. What practical ways have you achieved and maintained abstinence? Oh, hmm. Well, I think pretty much everything I've said, um, as far as, you know, what I've done, working steps, using the tools, building up the network. Um, I go to about, I try to go to three meetings a week, minimal. Um, sometimes I get to go to more. Sometimes not. Um, you know, just like trying to get to the gym, I try to get there, you know, three to five days a week. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, I don't really, I kind of don't believe in maintaining abstinence anymore because it's more of building up on, on what I've started with um, because there's just so much more to life um, now that I'm getting in touch with a higher power more which I'm really learning. I've just barely tapped into that power source. There's so much out there um, that I can do in this in this world and in, in this life. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really have any more. Susan, do you? Uh, okay. We only have a few more minutes. We're trying to like get through these quickly. So, what does it mean to surrender? <laughs> the question of the ages. Um, 
I think you get a different answer from 20 different people give you 20 different answers. So um, for me, what it means to surrender is to realize that I'm not God, that I can't do it, that I need help. I mean, that's really, and surrender is not something I've ever come to easily. I'm, I'm a claw, claw mark, fingernail marks on the wall, you know, backing up against the wall. What I found over the years is the wall keeps getting closer and closer, that I don't, it doesn't have to get as bad before I surrender. But um, I tend to find that I don't surrender, but I get surrendered. I don't know if you understand what I mean, but, you know, when I can't take it anymore, I give up. And that's what surrender is, giving up. Um, okay, so this says I've gained 40 pounds over the past two and a half years and two miscarriages. I'm not binge eating or starving, which is bottom line abstinence, but I'm very uncomfortable in my body. Any suggestions? Um, I took this question because I totally relate to it, except I haven't had two miscarriages. But I totally relate to this because this is what my last 30 years have been like in, in many ways. Uh, um, I have gained um, weight in abstinence. I've not broken my bottom line abstinence. Um, and I know that there are probably people who wondered why I didn't start my abstinence over, but um, that was part of the deal, was um, not having to be perfect and, um, you know, no binge eating. And it, it kind of goes with the surrender. When it was time, you know, I finally couldn't stand it anymore, I took some action. And um, for me, the action's been different in, in any number of different of times. It depends on, you know, obviously, if my weight is up, there's something going on with what I'm putting in my mouth, and I have to take a look at it. And that's been difficult for me all over these years because I have to be careful about the diet mentality. Diet mentality doesn't work for me. It sets me up. I usually gain weight when I, quote, go on a diet. So I have done a variety of different food plans over the years. Um, I don't have time to tell you what all of them are. But, you know, anyone who wants to talk to me, I'd be happy to share it with you afterwards. But, um, you know, it's about really looking honestly at your food and what you're putting in your body if um, weight is an issue and you want to start making some changes in that area. What's the best way to restart abstinence the day after? And then a similar one is how do you stop procrastinating, saying, I, I'll stop overeating tomorrow? Um, you know uh, you know how many last suppers I've had? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 can't even, I can't even count. Um, you know, and no one says that abstinence has to start on a Monday morning or the next morning. Um, I've had times where I've had a really bad binge, and then, you know, it was like, okay, this is it, I'm done. And then I start, you know, in the afternoon or the evening. Um, it's choice. You know, it, it, and, and like I said before, I have no more power today over food than I did when I first walked in these doors. What that power comes from is a power greater than myself. And the more I reach out to God for help in this program and, and for other people in this program, um, the, the better it gets. And uh, I'm under pressure. I don't do well under pressure. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Oh, well, she said one minute. But no, okay. Um, you know, procrastinating, it's one of the things I've really learned lately in this program is how important steps six and seven are. Because, you know, I'm like a walking character defect, basically. And uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, before I got into this program, I didn't have a, a, a good set of tools to live by. Um, they were all the negative stuff on my character defects list. Now I pray for the opposites of those, and, and, and that's the, how I'm trying to live my life today. In procrastination, you know, I pray to take an action. 
Uh, prayer for me has been essential in this program. I mean, you know, writing, working the steps. The prayer, uh, as of late, has just been amazing. How much, uh, how much that's helped me. Uh, how do we prevent relapse from relapse again? Um, just don't stop. Keep coming back, no matter what. Keep talking about it. Get honest. Go to meetings and talk about it, even if it makes other people uncomfortable. Um, I had to get over what other people thought of me, um, and, and actually had a, a, somebody that had been in program a long time saw my recovery, saw my relapse, and, and saw the anger, and, and I never said a word because I'd go to meetings and just, you know, just give the glare. And uh, you know, she she one day asked me, you know, what's going on? I just said I'm angry, and I don't really know what it's about. She goes, talk about it. You have permission to talk about it in these meetings. And once I started doing that, things got better. It was amazing. Um, what would you suggest to someone who is fearful of relapsing? Don't. Don't do it. No. <laughs> um, you know, it, the people I've seen in this program over the years that have recovery are the people that continue working the steps. It's not like we work through the steps once, get a degree, and we're, we're gone. We continually rework the steps over and over again. We do service. Um, we go to meetings. We have a food plan. And, um, you know, if I stay connected and I keep doing what what's works, what works, it keeps working. If I stop doing what works, I'm going to get relapse. I mean, it's guaranteed. So that's how I do it. Okay. Last, question. Last question. When I think about relapse, relapse, it makes me wonder if I set myself up because I think I have to have a perfect food plan and follow it to the letter to be abstinent. Isn't it more important to stop the behaviors rather than specific foods? I don't think anyone can really answer this question, but you, whoever you are, um, I can answer it for myself, and I think each one of us has to answer it for themselves. Um, uh, I think it's two parts. I think, yes, stopping the behaviors is important, but I think for some of us, stopping specific foods are also important. So um, uh, for me, I think you heard me say that trying to follow a specific food plan to the letter made me crazy and made me eat for somebody else. Following a specific food plan to the letter is the only way they can stop eating. So you have to know the way that works for you. And um, with that, we're going to close the meeting. It's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this meeting. Please stand and join hands as we close with OA's promise, I put my head in yours.